I'm out. Talk shoes. Recorded live. Okay, welcome to the Wednesday night call. It is May 4th, or May 3rd, rather. And um, uh, tonight again, we got Dave Maryland on on the phone. It's going to... Um, you know, talk about what he does best, his research, and how the statutes do apply when they don't apply, but how the government keeps running away and the IRS keeps running away from having to deal with us. And um, and a lot of things are happening, and, uh, and quite frank, frankly, I'm a little bit, i just, you know, been on a trip, uh, been out of town for five or six days, and and man, I'm whooped. And but you know, I went through Oregon, not through Oregon. I went to Portland mainly, and we went up to Grant Pass. And man, I'm telling you, some beautiful country up there. Uh, you mean uh, you mean you mean Portland, Maine? No, Portland, Oregon. You said, <laughs> you said Portland mainly. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Portland, well, mainly, uh, Portland, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The, uh, but what beautiful country up there, and, uh, it's, uh, awesome. And, you know, it's a lot different than flat Florida with a bunch of orange trees and nice sunshine and beautiful beaches, but you got the beautiful landscaping and everything in, in Oregon, and it's hard to uh, think, gee, which one do I like more? But then when you, I guess, facing the snow and, and your hands crack up because of the dry weather, because of the cold, uh, Florida's the place to be, so I'm glad to be home. Anyhow, I'd like to in- introduce Dave Maryland. We'll get this call started, and uh, welcome Still Billy in Central California and South Carolina. And Illinois Nation, I uh, saw your e- email. I haven't responded to it yet. Um, I probably will during the call. And we have a, a good friend of mine, uh, Rolex, on the phone. And and now people are starting to come in and welcome ev- everybody. I'd like to introduce Dave Merlin. And Dave, please take it away. Hey, thanks, Chris. Uh <sighs> You know, uh, somebody else might say, "Oh no, uh, Washington's way better than Florida." You got these Democrats up there that'll up here that'll tell you, "Oh yeah, come to Washington. You don't even have to bathe." <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I'm in the middle of it. I'm outside. I'm not on the computer today for this call, and uh, it's a it's a, a beautiful May day here in Seattle. These last Three or four days have been the activation for most of these plants. Uh, got a tree with no leaves on it whatsoever, just a little bit of bud at the end of every single little branch. So just breaking out of it now. And uh, it's a really incredible day here. So this is Dave Merlin in Seattle. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away with a lot of matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. And the goal here is to keep government from getting as much of your money or any of your money, as much of your money as it does, 
by uh, proving that some of what the government gets indeed is not owed. <laughs> you mean a public servant would steal from me? Yeah, that's what the tax code's about. And uh, it was proven in 1993 administratively. So I uh, I wrote my my treatise on the differences between the tax code and the IRS. And uh, um, that's the set of conclusions that the government hasn't been able to even address yet. And that's because the defects I perceive and I accuse the government of operating under uh, are valid. They exist. They are defects in what the IRS has always claimed is its authority. And it doesn't have the authority. It said it's always have, uh, always had, because when you read statute, you just find a whole bunch of holes in what the IRS says it can do. And uh, uh, there's no reason we should tolerate it. It's lawlessness. So, uh, so let's kill it. And... Uh, uh, that's the ultimate objective, but along the way, we got defensive battles to wage. People come under criminal investigation. Possibly, they're already indicted before I meet them, and uh, then we do what we can for them. And uh, I've got a couple right now that uh, we're going to try to help who are already deep in trouble, but I saw something... Uh, couple days ago that was very encouraging on an attorney's website here in Washington State, uh, Seattle, federal criminal attorney who does uh, criminal tax work as well and said that he handled one of the largest tax evasion cases in America's history, something like that on his website. But he also said something I've never heard anybody say before right there on his website. I've never heard anybody say this. He says that he's even negotiated with prosecutors to have them dismiss or drop the indictment to drop all the charges. And uh, that's, you know, all I've been asking is that uh the DOJ listened to just common sense about, you know, look who you've got here. Do you really think they think they broke the law or any of this? And uh, it's really just the same consideration. You know, why don't you stop what you're doing? Uh, you don't know what you're doing. You're destroying the lives of innocent people. These people didn't mean to break the law when they made their own personal money orders or uh, filed OIDs or Pete Hendrickson tax returns. And so uh, you've been beating up the anti-tax movement now for decades, and you can't even explain the law. And so uh, why don't you uh, stop indicting people under the tax code? So the same expression uh, is in what I saw on that website. Uh, I've actually negotiated to have prosecutors drop all the charges. Great. And the guy said he's, handled literally dozens of uh, federal actions, 
state actions, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, U.S. Supreme Court, Washington State Supreme Court, and appellate courts. Uh, so uh, just really a wonderful resume on this guy. I think he's about 61 years old. And um, I've got a message into him to, to call me. And uh, I want to see what I can get out of the guy regarding uh, uh, defense or, uh, you know, I'd like to give him my materials, of course, but get him interested in uh, in the traverse argument. The primary argument, of course, uh, citizens of the U.S. are only named in regulation in Chapter 1. And again, this is all on the uh, federal income taxation page of wevgov.com. And the second argument is all property is cost, even if I were subject to the tax code. And uh, that's uh, you deprive me of Section 83. Uh, just those two arguments uh, as statutory claims, and then you offer the traverse. If the government can't refute these claims with a contrary analysis of the same provisions, void for vagueness. Uh, the law is vague or highly debatable. And the Kreitzer decision, Fourth Circuit 1974, says that where the law is vague or highly debatable, a defendant lacks the requisite intent to violate it. And then about 20 cases cite Kreitzer since Kreitzer. So uh, why, when the government can't even refute my statutory claims on how I read the law that they say applies to me, if they can't refute my claims, what are we doing here? If they can't refute my claims, how is the law not vague or highly debatable when my view of the law is something they can't even refute and it shows that I've got all these protections right there in the tax code? So uh, the government will never let you win on one or two. It'll always be the third one, if at all. And so there you start at the trial level trying to vacate a conviction and uh, or a motion to dismiss in the trial court and then a, an appeal all the way to the Supreme Court. You're on the Ninth Circuit here. So uh, this uh, latest gentleman I met, uh, he's in Seattle, and uh, he'll have to uh, go all the way to the Supreme Court because we're on the Ninth Circuit. Don't expect any justice from the appellate level here. Not that you could get it anywhere else, but I don't suppose anybody heard what new Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch has done. Have you all heard that uh, what you have is... Uh, the Supreme Court gets in the neighborhood of, I've heard between 7,000 and 8,000 petitions every year, but um, I also heard that they get 8,000 petitions per term. And um, the there's a, uh, uh, what is it called, a... Uh, a cert pool, certiorari pool of clerks 
that read the petitions and they have veto power and they decide which ones should go before the justices for review and then the justices decide which ones of those they will review. And um, Neil Gorsuch uh, told his clerks, you're going to go over all 8,000 petitions and you're going to tell me what your opinion is separate from the cert pool. (laughs) And so he's already uh, policing what the Supreme Court will and won't hear. So obviously he suspects there's plenty of petitions that they should hear every year and they simply don't. Uh, Sounds alarmingly familiar to things that I've said before. You can't go to the Supreme Court Uh, If you can't go to the Supreme Court, you're likely doomed because the appellate courts get everything done, all the dirty work. And if you don't make it past the clerks to the Supreme Court, the appellate courts win. And only 1% to 2% of the petitions to the Supreme Court make it past the clerks to the justices. So what are your chances of getting into the justices? So all this dirty work done by the appellate court while the Supreme Court has not grown in size, and you can bet the executive branch and the legislative branch have. And so uh, I don't feel that the Supreme Court's work keeps up with the demand of uh, the corruption of the court system. But uh, he's now reviewing the denial process the Supreme Court operates. And... uh, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Stuff I would have never thought to do because I just don't think in terms of the judiciary, I think in terms of the executive branch and how to keep them operating correctly. So uh, it's a fascinating move on the part of Gorsuch, no doubt. So uh, build your record. No criminal intent. Uh, Even if you're going to, you know, get exotic and file a bunch of Patriot movement type of paperwork, you know. Uh, uh, I urge that you don't do it. I urge that you revoke anything that you might have filed because uh, Chris and I, what we witness on, you know, almost a weekly basis, every couple weeks, we just look at a new indictment coming down the pike for people that did what the Patriot movement says you should do. Don't do it. It's that easy. So we got a bunch of people playing defense and a bunch of people out there wondering whether or not they'll have to play criminal defense, meaning am I going to be investigated? Am I going to be indicted? And um, we, uh, every couple of weeks, we see these indictments and uh, something's got to be done. You know, it's one thing to teach you these arguments and to say join this and build your record. There are other people that are already all the way into trouble. And uh, it requires, you know, a certain type of action. And uh, I'm thinking of, uh, there's a particular attorney here in Washington, as a matter of fact, in Seattle, who has on the left side of her web page, her homepage, is a, a vertical list of practice areas. And one of her practice areas was... Uh, Uh, pardons and commutations, reprieves and pardons. 
Um, if you want to see the uh, regulations, what's funny is the Constitution says that the president should have the power of uh, pardon and reprieve. It doesn't say he shall have the limited power. He shall have the power of pardon and reprieve. Pardon only re, uh, only pertains to um, convictions. So you can't pardon Hillary Clinton until she's convicted. You can't pardon so-and-so until he's convicted. But uh, he has the pardon and reprieve power. Uh, if you go to 28 CFR 1.1 through 1.10, 28 CFR 1.1 through 1.10, those are the regulations they wrote about the authority of the president to uh, issue pardons. They're done through the U.S. pardon attorney who works for the U.S. attorney general in the DOJ. And in there, one of those clauses says, nothing herein shall be construed to limit the authority of the, otherwise limit the authority of the president. What do you mean? What the hell are you talking about? One of those regulations says you can't file for a pardon until five years after your conviction and release from, from probation. Oh, so everybody else that's falsely convicted, they have to wait until after their sentence and probation before they can even approach you to get uh, their conviction vacated? That's not a limitation on the president's authority? Really? If you just put those two next to each other, those three, I guess, the constitutional provision, the president can provide pardons. The regulation, nothing herein shall be construed to limit that authority. And the third one, you can only file for a pardon and, uh, if you've already served your time and waited until after probation. <laughs> wow, or five years after your release or something. It's incredible. Just incredible. Oh, but we're not trying to limit the authority. But anybody that hasn't waited until they've done their time and jumped through these hoops, you can't have one. But it's not a limitation. Oh, man. You see differences like this, but you don't realize they're differences until you've done a lot of research. And you come up with, excuse me, but you have this over here, but you have that over there. Which one is it? These are two different things. And when the law says two different things, the Constitution wins. And if everything's fine, then it's the stat it's a statute that wins. So uh, when you see a, a, a blaring difference like this between uh, between a regulation and the Constitution that's trying to implement, uh, you, you have to stop and say, "Excuse me, but uh, I think that anybody." that's been convicted can apply for a pardon. And I mean, even if they're still in prison. How do you know, Dave? Well, it wasn't Bo Bergdahl or... They've been... Uh, the last president was springing a bunch of people. Some of them were in prison. Uh, some of them were in, I think, in proceedings. But a whole bunch of drug dealers and everything in prison. 
commuted their sentence, uh, pardoned other people, and did not wait five years, like you'll see in the regulation. So why can't I apply for something the president does when people don't even apply for it? So, so ignore that part of the regulations, I feel, and go straight ahead because you've got a team in the White House that's going to say, I'm not going to honor this regulation. You've got an innocent guy here. And there's simply no, re- no reason why a regulation says, well, you might be innocent, but we're going to screw you over that fact for a few years before you can even approach us to vacate it or pardon it. So uh, anyway, there's a lot of work to be done for people that are already in trouble. And uh, it's not a matter of liens and levies. It's a matter of whether or not they go to prison. And uh, in the instance of two indictments that just came to Chris and I uh, two weeks ago, uh, the government has screwed up in a big, big way in those indictments. So I'm just waiting for them to consult with a local attorney. And uh, then I'm going to try to get a conference scheduled with that attorney and tell them what what I believe before they simply sprint toward a plea agreement. And I'm not a fan of whether or not they go to trial or not. That's not my job. I just want to display all the options and, uh, and that's for the defendant and for the attorney to see whether or not they actually want to go to trial. So, because I can kill all those charges. Half of them have nothing to do with taxes, but they're just as false as the tax charges. So a 25-count indictment, just a couple of arguments, and the whole thing's done. But they always have the right to supersede the indictment. So it's going to be a very touchy negotiation process that whatever attorney they have has to conduct with the DOJ to... Um, see if they can't get the charges dropped. There's no reason to destroy these people's lives. They weren't willful. Uh, they thought they were doing what, in fact, somebody else filled out the paperwork and filed it for them. It was Gordon Hall who manufactured personal money orders. And my latest email from the defendant says they didn't even, he and his wife didn't even sign those personal money orders. Somebody said, I'll take care of your tax controversy. And so they paid him a bunch of money to do it. And he manufactured these personal money orders and sent them in for these people. And then sent them a copy of it. And they sat on it for three years. And then out of the blue, indicted. Never contacted by the government to say, don't do that. You're breaking the law, don't do that. Citizen breath. Never contacted. So. Uh, it comes out of the blue, and bingo. So uh, I hope anybody listening to the call can hear in that the uh, the peril you're in when you're going to contradict the government. You didn't hear me say these people were guilty at all. Well, they've been indicted, the wife for 50 years worth of charges maximum, and the husband for 325 years maximum under the charges that they're facing. This is serious stuff. And when you say, screw it, I'm going to trial. 
Well, if you get convicted on one, just one of those 25 counts, uh, how are you going to get a plea deal down to, uh, you know, you're convicted on a 25-year count, you could have gotten a plea agreement. The judge is going to give you five of those 25 years. Instead, on a plea agreement, if you pled down to one count instead of losing at trial to one count, uh, you might give you 24 months. And so there's a lot of incentive behind uh, striking a plea agreement. So anyway, just a whole bunch of concerns when, uh, when the government comes calling and you'll find that the law is the, the very least of them. The least of all the concerns is the law. And so if, if you're going to contradict the government to any degree in any way, you need, to, you need to be on the record with, I haven't broken any law. That's the first thing you say any time the government contacts you. I haven't broken any law. That's the first thing you say. What does that mean? What does that do to the public servant? It's a total burden of proof shifter. I haven't broken any law. I don't owe you any money. Then they have to come up, what do they have to do? They have to say, yes, you do. Well, prove it. Let's start in the state code or let's start in the municipal code, depending on who you're talking to. Let's start in the tax code. I say, I don't owe you any money and you shouldn't even be talking to me and you say, I'm wrong. Let's start here, right here in the tax code. See how you just totally shifted the burden of proof and shoved them right into the tax code they've been avoiding since I figured it out in 1992? Pressed them for a year administratively, 1993. They wouldn't budge. They didn't care. 1994, January, first briefs I ever wrote, entered tax court. They've had these issues that long. So it's time. And uh, it's, uh, you have to build a record. You have to impress the government that you, didn't, you don't think you broke any laws. You simply have to. These people didn't do that. And it's the only difference between being indicted and not being indicted. I didn't break any laws. That's somebody that's hard to prosecute when every cop on the scene at the arrest, when they raid your home, says, yeah, the guy wouldn't, start cha- wouldn't stop chanting, I haven't broken any laws. Well, that's a hard sell in front of the jury saying he believes he broke the law. And then there's the offense. Uh, we really hope to file a uh, lawsuit soon. We're waiting to hear from an attorney that was really interested in my work to see if he wants to uh, participate or if he has any comments. And uh, when uh, when we know exactly whether or not uh, or how his how he feels about the lawsuit, uh, we'll go ahead on our own or uh, proceed with him as the lead plaintiff. We don't know yet, and uh, it'll be a matter of suing the government. Uh, ask for, asking for a, a declaratory order to compel the government to uh, provide clear explanation of the laws as promised in the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. So if we can't get a hold of that attorney soon, we're going to go ahead and move forward with that suit and uh, sue the government 
to establish a database that provides a clear explanation of all of the laws. They promised it. I want it. Hand it over. And we know they haven't done any work on it yet. None. So uh, it's a monumental project we're suing the government for with a wee little request. I want the court to compel them to establish a database of written explanations of all of the laws. <laughs> so that's what we're doing on the offense. So offense and defense and cleanup, uh, all three fronts. Um, just in this one call, you've heard exactly that. Three fronts, uh, preemptive, uh, in the heat of battle, and um, and uh, post-conviction. So, all three fronts. There's a there's a lot there's a lot of help that people need, and uh, um, I don't see a lot of people out there really with ideas for these three fronts, and uh, it's a shame to see a lot of uh, really. It's a shame to see a lot of really good people, innocent people, going to prison. And uh, that's the battle that Chris and I are fighting. So uh, there you see the uh, before, during, and after view of uh, not just tax criminal prosecution, but all criminal prosecution, especially for the innocent, that uh, you got these tools the government abuses against you. And when they do it, they're going to give you choices that sound real tempting, and you end up in in prison just trying to avoid what they'd do if you don't agree to go to prison peacefully. So uh, it's uh, it's really sick, but it is every assistant U.S. attorney. It is every U.S. attorney, and uh, it's part of the swamp that I want to bring to the attention of uh, Jeff Sessions that this April 5th indictment of these two locally here uh, on false charges is standard operating procedure. And it comes, let's see, February 8th. That's 20 days, 25 days after uh, Jeff Sessions was sworn in. 25 days after he got office, his employees in Seattle are bringing false charges against the couple. And uh, uh, I can tag them. They, these are false charges. I know exactly how they're false. The government knows exactly how they're false. And they just wanted to screw these people. So... Um, that's another avenue of attack is to get the criminals in trouble, the people that are conspiring to falsely imprison Americans. Well, that's a conspiracy against rights. That's 10, year, 10 years in prison max, 18 U.S.C. 241. And I keep saying this, wevgov.com. Go to the website. Go to the Federal Criminal Statutes page. Read 18 U.S.C. 241. If two or more persons conspire to threaten, injure, or oppress somebody in the exercise of a right or privilege, blah, 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 10 years in prison, well, false charges, 
the the price will be prison terms. I think that's a conspiracy against rights. What do you think? Well, I'm required to report felonies. 18 U.S.C. 4 says so. See the federal criminal statutes page on wevgov.com. 18 U.S.C. 4, you better report the felony. And so a criminal complaint about these false charges brought against people that don't believe they broke the law and absolutely did not break the law in the way the government alleges, even if they had done what the government says. And so false charges to bring more years than if they'd have brought the correct allegation, not that they were criminally intentional, but it shouldn't be a 25-year statute, 25 years per count uh, for the charge that the government brought. It should be a charge under another statute because they're innocent of the first one. It should be under another statute, and that statute only imposes five years per count. But the government wanted to really screw these people and really terrify them into a plea agreement. And so they brought charges under an in, in, in applicable statute that has five times as much time attached to it. That's another thing they do right there. So false charge or inappropriate charge just to increase the amount of time that they otherwise maybe could have gotten out of you. So uh, uh, at every turn and in any way the government can perceive it can screw you worse than if it hadn't tried, uh, they'll try it, period. And that's who you're dealing with. Now, you think you can piddle around with tax returns and when the law doesn't even count and they kidnap innocent people and put them in prison and destroy families and estates? Really? That's the anti-tax movement. Yeah, screw with the government. Come on. And when you get in trouble, you won't be able to reach me. That was my impression of Pete Hendrickson. So uh, uh, just be careful. And as a nice summary of our efforts here, uh, I've just described to you that there are three fronts, and we're looking. Chris and I are looking at all three right now, and trying to come up with something for uh, you know some sort of a defense slash offense to get the government to you know, bite its tongue a little bit, maybe even say, okay, we're dropping the charges. Now that you've revoked your or rescinded your OIDs or your personal money orders, we want to tell you, since we got your attention, we're dropping the charges, but if you don't file tax returns within 30 days, uh, we're going to file charges against you. So the government might back off, but it's only going to be a little bit. They might not back off at all. They might say, oh, the wrong charges? Okay, we'll just supersede the indictment with a few different charges that will be easier to get away with than the first ones we tried. So there are no guarantees. You can't predict corruption. None of this is legal advice because the law has nothing to do with anything. Uh, You can show them the law. The only thing it has to do with is whether or not they can say You acted with criminal intent, and we're working on the rest of it. Hey, Chris, a couple of questions, and let's get out of here. Okay, Avahut99 has malicious attempt from government regarding excessive charges. 
it's under the category of malicious prosecution or vindictive prosecution or both. And uh, there's a case on this out of the Supreme Court, Beck versus, I think it's City of Upland, U-P-L-A-N-D. I know the the first party is Beck. Um, Beck was uh, falsely prosecuted by a city government, I think it was, um, in retaliation for things that he said at a dinner party or a fundraiser for the commerce, uh, uh, the uh, Chamber of Commerce or something, I can't remember. But it went to the Supreme Court, and uh, that was a full discussion of malicious prosecution by the Supreme Court. And I think this all fits mostly into that category. So. Okay. Um, right. Let's see. Um, uh, Christopher says uh, 241 applies to all judges as well. That's right. Well, hang on. Um, I go directly to uh, U.S. versus David Lanier. L-A-N-I-E-R. I think it's a 1993 case, maybe 1997, Supreme Court. Um, David Lanier, a Tennessee Chancery judge, was brought up on charges under 18 U.S.C. 242. And there was never any discussion as to whether or not it applied to him. Never what, in, in the entire case, there's never a question. And so if 18 U.S.C. 242, apply, uh, 242 applies to the judge, so does 241. And the statute doesn't say, if two or more persons, except the judge, conspire to threaten, injure, or oppress. So, yeah, of course, it applies to the judge. Right. And social workers as well, as I'm looking to see where I saw that. Okay. It applies to everybody. Everybody. It says the two or more persons. Great. Okay. Um, all right. Now, if you have any questions on the telephone, hit star eight and raise your hand and I can bring you in. Um, let's see. Uh, nope, no calls. No, no questions. I'd like just to make a comment that Dave made on the last show. Um, The uh, Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, as well as supported by statute, I think it's 7803 uh, of of the Title 26, where uh, they codified the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. So not only is it in the statutes, it's, you know, it's in the... uh, the IRS will send you a sheet, in fact, a two-page document uh, showing that you have, you know, the taxpayer's bill of rights. Well, some will argue, well, I'm not a taxpayer. Well, that's okay. It applies to you, too. Yeah, you still have to prove it, and so you have to go through all of the law and prove that the law does not impose a tax. So it's an invalid argument. You can make it all you want. But to prove your point, you have to go through the entire code and prove you are not a taxpayer because the IRS IRS enjoys the presumption of correctness. So it's an invalid argument. It's a show-me-the-law argument. 
Yeah, it was basically what I was going to say because when you go through the the elements of of what they want you to do, you will come out. Hey, I'm not a taxpayer, and 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 they and they proved it. So um, you you go in using the statutes, but we you know Congress has made it somewhat easier for us lately because you got the taxpayers' bill of rights. And you have uh, some other avenues now, and and like uh, Don Gron, Pastor Don Gron was the one that brought out to me uh, several months ago about uh, let's see, uh, 31 CFR point uh, or zero point uh, ten or something like that, and now and and then they changed it. And and you couldn't find it, but now it's back again. And I've emailed that out last week, which I I will do on on a continual basis. That the anybody working for the treasury and the IRS is claiming they work for the treasury, they are they are commanded to tell the truth and answer the questions truthfully, whether oath or not, under oath or not. So. You've got a lot of good stuff now that is going to uh, support us. So what we Hang on. Go ahead. Chris, 26 CFR 601.101A says that the IRS is a bureau within the Department of Treasury. Go ahead. Yeah. And so when you have, when you have the Treasury, you know, mandating that its agents uh, – answer the questions, Congress has codified the taxpayer's bill of rights that you are you you can now demand a clear explanation of the law. It doesn't get better than that. So when they make a claim and we roll back to who has the burden of proof, the one making the claim. So that's where you start, right there. You have a clear, you you are bound, Mr. Agent, to give me a clear explanation of the law. How does Section 83A operate in your conclusion that I owe a tax? And here's some help. Here's a brief from David Merlin, and uh, and with my briefing, you don't have to write another brief. You don't have to write more questions. You don't have to write another criminal complaint, and already, uh, just by joining the complaint, you've got the uh, agent under the gun to just say, you know, you say I owe a tax. We have to start with the law. I'm entitled to clear explanations. Everybody agrees. We're going to start in Section 83, and we're going to stay there until you satisfy this guarantee here. Totally different taxpayer. Yep, there you go. All right, well, uh, let's see. Um, Christopher says, and still, how does Section 83 apply the assessments that there are taxes owed? There you go. Right, and and to the agent that asks the question of you, how did Section 83 operate last year when you did your tax returns? Wow, it's pretty sad when a statute they have to comply with just to do their own taxes is off limits for everybody. I won't hear of it. 
out of curiosity, let's say the agent doesn't know about 83, and he says, well, I didn't use 83. Then you're under arrest. You're conspiring with your boss to steal my money. You don't even look at the law. You had no business even speaking to me. You just admitted you didn't even look at the law. Well, it's not my fault. You're a felon. You're out of here or you're under arrest. Which one is it? That is the position that people have to take. I mean, it's, you know, and that's what, that's what got it's me. A, Go ahead. It's a, lawful, it's a lawful position. Read wevgov.com. That's what this website's about. It's about telling everybody, here's how they're stealing your money. If you decide that it's crime, here's what you can do about it. Citizens arrest. That's what the whole website's about. And that's what got me was David's posture when I met him back in, in 2006 that um, got me through the grand jury and, and allowed us to help many people therein after uh, get non-prosecuted, you know, didn't get an indicted. A couple were because they got in there too late or whatever. Uh, one was indicted because he didn't do, he, he joined the joiner and sat on it, didn't send it out to anybody. Nobody even knew he joined it. Um, and he, and then he gets indicted. He said, well, what do I do now? So, uh, that's what you don't want to do. You want to be an active. You want to be participate. You want to participate in challenging the agents on Section 83A, as well as some other uh, issues that Dave has has outstandingly brought forward. And you can see all of it at we w e V, as in Victor, you know, versus VGov.com. I'm going to type it in the chat, but for those who are not on the chat, that's WeVGov.com. And, uh, as, in, as in Roe v. Wade, WeVGov.com. Okay, let me see. Uh, Dave, any words on South Carolina lawsuits? Uh, I got an email from the lead plaintiff, and he wants to nudge the court, and I got to agree, uh, it's been long enough, and when they deny the motion to reopen the case, we're simply going to amend the lawsuit, and he'll file it again, amended. So we're playing this this bleep, bleep, bleep little game with the court about how to get a lawsuit in front of the judges about the government that doesn't seek to restrain the assessment or collection of taxes, because that's what they're going to use to deny the lawsuit is the Anti-Injunction Act. And we'll just have to see what see what they say, and then uh, if they reopen the case, great. But if they don't, then he'll refile it with a simplified uh, petition, and here we go. Okay. The waiting is over. The wait, waiting is over. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, well, I don't see any questions on the board. And uh, uh, here it is again. Okay, I put the uh, 
I'm reading my own my own message. Okay, uh, I think it's time for me me to go to bed. All right. Anyhow, in, clo- in, clo- in closing, uh, everybody really, everybody on this call, I'll bet you knows somebody that filed Pete Henderson tax returns, zero tax returns, OIDs, bills of exchange, personal money orders, or something, or you know of a group that meets. They are totally exposed. They're utterly vulnerable to what the DOJ does to innocent people. And uh, please do what you can to inform them that I've got a course on criminal intent they simply have to get. It's it's new. Uh, The decision came out in 2015 that acquainted me with the fact that this has always been the standard and... I'd always wondered when I looked at what the government does, saying, how are you sending innocent people to prison? This is how they do it. And so uh, I made a course about it with this brand-new decision on an old topic, criminal intent, and uh, these people have to know what's in this course. It's a great course, and it applies whether you believe what I teach or someone else's uh, else's teaching. It doesn't matter. This course applies, and... uh, Everybody out there needs it. If you're ever going to confront the government at all, but you think you have the law on your side, you need this course. Chris, well, we see you got, later, everybody. Wait, 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 wait. We got one question here from... Uh, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay, go go ahead, uh, West North Carolina. Yeah, hey, Chris. It's Rick Rick Paul. Um, hey, David. I have a question uh, for you. Um, I had a my uh, account just uh, drafted by the IRS. I had a bill for a thousand bucks and then they added some fees and they said it was 4,000 and then I just ignored it. Well, I told them I didn't owe any money. And so anyway, suddenly about a year later, I find out uh, $3,200 was just, they just emptied my account. And that was about a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. Um, so I was wondering, is there any uh, recourse I could do, you know, they're the plaintiff, but do I have to sue them, or can I challenge them and what they did was fraudulent? Yeah, hang on. If they have not taken you to court, then they're not the plaintiff. They're simply a collection agency for the government. Secondly, um, I don't do civil. And third, they already got your money. The key to success in this instance was keeping your <laughs> bank account low. And you didn't do it, and... uh They've got your money, and the hardest thing to do is to get money back from the government. I suggest you contact Don Gron and see if there's anything he can do for you. But uh, I just don't do civil, and uh, justice is so far away from what you have to accomplish that uh, it depresses me to even think about taking on your uh, controversy. Okay. And then you've got a driver's license course, which I was thinking of getting, and because uh, I've got a couple tickets i got to deal with um and so what what type of success do you do so can you say if you have a ticket or driving without a license and you follow your paperwork um i've got a schedule i mean they had they brought me to court a few weeks ago and they i asked for a jury trial so they're supposed to be scheduling that but i haven't heard back from them for three weeks i don't know if they're still going to do it but they threw me in jail for not drive for you know driver without a license and it, and then they held me overnight and I had to pay the you know six hundred dollars whatever um, 
so they're holding a bond until the hearing, but um, they haven't come up with a hearing yet. What state? Oh, I'm in South Carolina near Myrtle Beach. Oh, that's terrible. See, South Carolina and uh, California and Texas. Uh, let me get my list. There's like 50 of them. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. uh, so uh, I'm going to the motor vehicle code page now on wevgov.com to South Carolina. I scroll uh, to see if I have anything in uh, South Carolina. Let's see, South Dakota. I, I also have a couple of tickets in North Carolina, too. And I just had a ticket in Missouri. I just was traveling out to Springfield. Uh, I got a ticket, I guess, in Columbia. So what I did was I mailed it back the next day, and I put on there, refused for cause, uh, signed under threat, duress, and coercion. Whatever. Um, uh, I just don't do all of this. And uh, oh. the, Patri the Patriot Movement has its uh, sacred incantations and, uh, and circles of nine that they dance in around a fire of red smoke, whatever they do. And all yeah. that mythology, I've got, I've got no time for. And I've already told you in the free tutorial on YouTube.com, public vehicular travel, you have to do the research on the original motor vehicle code in each state you're going to travel in. And that's the only argument I represent. So uh, that's the only argument I have for you, but I haven't done the uh, the research for those states. So all well, what's uh, well, so I Oh, sorry to interrupt you, but it, so when I went to court, I asked for a preliminary hearing, and she said, we don't do that. So what do they do is they give you summary judgment, but then you can't question the law. You just go by facts. And so I I wanted a preliminary hearing so I could argue well, the... Hang the, on, uh, hang on. Hey, hold on, hold on. That's because okay. you didn't start... That's because you didn't start with a brief and a challenge. It, it's up to you to know the rules, okay? The judge oh. didn't screw you right there. It's that they operate a certain way. You got to find out that, how the court operates before you go into court. So that was your fault. You should have known that you didn't get a preliminary hearing. And so, I w to challenge a traffic ticket there, I would have filed a uh, notice of appearance and a motion to dismiss with a brief in support to be heard at the only hearing I'm going to get. Uh, I did file some documents, and he just ignored them. And, um, you know, I stated, I said, I don't believe I need a license to drive from well, point well, A to yeah, point B. Hey, none, none of that matters, okay? All I do is the original uh, drafting of the motor vehicle code, bring it forward. And so I filed other documents and stuff. That has nothing to do with what I teach, other documents. It doesn't tell me anything, number one. And what it tells me also is that the people that instructed you on how to approach traffic court didn't even tell you what to call the documents. And so uh, it's it's a matter of you're in a totally other place with everything you tell me that you did. And I don't want to go there because it's just Patriot Movement. I spent 29 years avoiding it. That's why I was wondering what is your process. Um, how successful is it? Like, you know, how does it work? Just from the people I hear from that try it, it works pretty well but it's a matter of shifting the burden of proof using the law. So there's a lot of research you have to do. I urge everybody to do it in advance. Take my tutorials. Everything's free right here on the web. And if you want to join my complaint that was filed in 2006, 
uh, March 9th of 06, then uh, my course will teach you how to join it, and then you litigate like that. But I'm not in contact with very many people that go to traffic courts, so I can't tell you who has and has not succeeded with my course. I know there's several people who have, but it's really not a topic I commonly uh, uh, branch off into. Right. Okay. Go get them. I yeah. like to, I okay. like to add I like to add that you know I what I do in Florida no, doesn't necessarily mean it'll work in any place else but here traffic court does not have an attorney and the state in all instances have to have an attorney representing the state and when I file I always when I get a ticket I always file a counterclaim. And when I file the counterclaim, I send a copy to the state's attorney as well as putting it, you know, in into the record and sending it also to the cop. And um, and since I've been doing that, they never show up. That's good. That's a good point. So I live in a really small town. So I asked the lady, I said, where's the city's attorney? It's a city. It's a city of Mullins. And I said, so where's the city attorney's office? She said, we don't have a city attorney. She actually said they do not have a city attorney. And when I was in traffic court, no one used an attorney. All these people showed up and nobody had an attorney. And there was just one one officer there um, just you know, nobody was properly represented. All right. there was, okay, yeah. well, what what you have to work on now is drafting your posture that, hey, you don't even have, have an attorney, you know, and, and, and show the case law where even the states, counties, and municipals have to have an attorney represent them. Yeah, I couldn't even, you know, how, you know I can't okay, even well, talk Well, I don't want to yeah. take up the call on, on personal things, but... You yeah. got you got the direction to go now. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. Um is there any other comments, questions? Uh Christopher says, then being the issuer of the magistrate judge, Spokane, Washington times two and Adams County times one. I guess you would um, I don't know, Dave, if you know what that means. No. Okay. So um, uh, uh, i got to get out of here. It's uh, top of the hour. Yep, so let's call it quits. And I'll see everybody Saturday on 59615 here on TalkShoe. Can't wait. Download the shows here in Chris's archive and in my archive at 59615. See you Saturday. All right. God bless America, and this call is officially over. Thank you.